the mind of Christ. Let's see. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So I, I was just, there's a million different directions you could take a, a series like this. And I was like, Lord, what should I focus on? And bam, the seek first his kingdom and his righteousness hit me. And I, that kind of sums it up. Everything. That's what the mind of Christ is. It's somebody who's seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. If you're truly born again, that you should be all about that. Whatever that means, whatever it means to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, that should be what you're all about. And we're going to look a little more into that in a second. But as I meditated on this, it took me in some really surprising directions. Where does this phrase come from, Bible students? Yeah, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6. How many of you guys have memorized at least one chapter of the Sermon on the Mount? Higher. Put your hands up higher, higher, higher. Good, good. It is the longest sermon. It's three chapters. It's the longest sermon we have recorded of Jesus. So if you want to know the mind of Christ, it would behoove you it would be pretty smart on your part not to make up who you think he is or what he was about everybody's about that right now i think jesus was about vegetarianism well i think jesus you know carried an ar well i think jesus was into you know liberation of the you know the oppressed and communist countries or whatever well maybe we ought to read things like his longest sermon and find out what he was into and that's the only way to really develop the mind of Christ. And the only way to check and find out if your church is really teaching you what Jesus was about. I've said this so many times. It might scare some of you. I'm not afraid to say, how do you know I'm not the devil? Ah, let me out of here. There's an easy way. You open up the Bible and you say, is what he's saying lines up? I'm not afraid for you to open up the Bible. Now, if your pastor or your church or whatever doesn't want you studying the Bible, that's, where, that's the church I'd run from. So see if what I'm saying lines up. And then you know, well, he's a straight shooter. He's really representing Christ. Because Christ said, false Christ and false prophets will arise and deceive many. Which means in Manhattan, Kansas, there are people standing behind podiums misleading people about who Jesus was or what he was up to. And if that sounds mean and cruel, then Jesus was mean and cruel because I was quoting him. He said, a whole bunch of people are going to be saying they represent me and they're not going to. So this comes from his longest sermon. I think I memorized that when I was 19 years old. And if you're a serious Christian, you just got to, got to, got to get in the word. Otherwise, you're just going to be like Ephesians 4 says, tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine, by the craftiness of men and deceitful scheming, religious hucksters and charlatans, and, and you're not going to be tapping into the way, the truth, and the life, and the fullness that God has for you. So anyway, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Comes from oh, the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount ends with this. I guess I'd ask you guys, how's life going for you? How's your like mental state? Peace, joy, fruitfulness, purpose, direction. Conflict resolution, dating. How's that? How's how are things going for you? You know, are you are you overall your addictions, 
Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rains fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house. What's he talking about? Oh, financial crises and getting fired and having your parents get divorced or your boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance, spouse cheat on you. You're, the kind of things in life that can totally undo you. Yet it did not fall. It had been founded on the rock. So you don't just get through the trials of life with Jesus. You get better and better and stronger and more and more peaceful till you can pretty much go through anything and not really get shaken all that much. That's what he says. But he says, everyone who hears these words of mine does not act on them. He's like a, he's like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains fell, the floods came, the winds blew, slammed against that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. So this is how it ends. And so let's see some of the things he talked about. And let's focus specifically on the seek first, his kingdom and his righteousness phrase. Where does it come from? Man, Jesus, even knowing the slide that's coming, Jesus was so incredibly offensive. He just, he was offending people at every turn. That's why they killed him. We, we teach he's like, we teach Jesus was like, again, I don't, I don't even know who the, long time ago is Barney the Purple Dinosaur. What did you guys grow up with? Barney and, and Mr. Rogers before that. They teach Jesus like Mr. Rogers. Who would have crucified Mr. Rogers? Or Barney? You know, I love you, you love me, whatever. We're best friends as friends can be. You don't kill people for that stuff. He, he's in people's faces and he's telling people, you're doing it wrong. You're the source of your own problems. Stop blaming everybody else. You need to repent. You need to change. And the religious leaders are like, we need to kill this guy. He's driving us crazy. So anyway, look even at this next screen, where this comes from. I was like, oh, Jesus, you're so offensive. But he's so good. You know, you go into a doctor and he tells you you have a, a, you know, a tumor on your brain and it's going to kill you and you need to operate that week. You could get all mad at your doctor and say, I want a second opinion. And well, I like the doctor that says, you know, take two baby aspirins and a Flintstones vitamin and, you know, and you'll be fine. Yes, I stole that from Brian Regan. But the good doctor says, radical surgery, total life alteration. He's the good. So Jesus does that with us. So this is going to be uh, this tough stuff. Where's that seek first his kingdom and his righteousness couched? What's it couched in? Do not be anxious. Don't be anxious. In this section, he says that five times. The steps on a lot of people's toes. Again, I didn't say it. Five times this word, this Greek word here in this section. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. If you're an anxious person, it's because you're not seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. Your brain is out of control. You're living like the heathens. You're just living for this life, living for tomorrow, creating all kinds of scenarios in your head that are going to come and run you over like a truck. And just like you, you and I do not go through life, see the world the same way. He says, don't be anxious and saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What are we going to wear for clothing? He said, the Gentiles, the unsaved, the heathens, the pagans, he said, they eagerly seek all these things. He says, your heavenly father knows you need all these things. So if we're at peace with God and we're born again 
and we've been forgiven and we're in his family and we're walking in holiness. I'll say that again. And we're walking in holiness and submission and obedience. He's got us covered. We've got nothing to worry about. He knows you need all these things. And then he says, so seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So if you seek the things God wants you to think, seek and you get your brain on the same wavelength as his, uh, he's going to take care of all the other stuff that the world's all wrapped up and bound up about. Don't be anxious again about tomorrow. You know what anxiety is? Anxiety is you have created a scenario in the future that is going to harm you. And then you're reacting today as if that is a reality, but it's just a, a fantasy that you've created in your head. It could be a financial crisis. It could be you failing a test. It could be you not getting into a school. It could be you never getting married. Yeah, because every 21-year-old just thinks, oh, it's over. There's just no hope. I mean, I, how could I ever possibly find a spouse now that I'm 21? I'm, I might as well just go check into the geriatric center. There's no hope for me. Um, so what do we do? We get anxious and then we grab a hold of some half-baked Yahoo that our parents can't stand and we force the issue and then we nightmare and then we say, God, why'd you do this to me? God said, look, I told you not to be anxious because it caused you to do stupid things. You didn't listen. So you were anxious and you did stupid things. So anyway, anxiety is just, we're creating these scenarios in the future. They don't exist. And then we're living as if they're real. And they're robbing us of our ability to live in this day because I'm living in next week or next year or the grad school that I may not get into or the spouse I may never have or the money, the million dollars I need, two million now to retire on that's not in the bank. So I better work so hard that I neglect my children. Anxiety is just never a good thing. So Jesus says, live in the day. Just grab this day by the horns. Don't want to mix my metaphors. Grab this day and just squeeze all the good you can out of this day through the relationships you actually have, through the money you actually have. But you know what? That's not my sermon. So, but it's in the midst of this. Don't be anxious. He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So this took me in a very, very strange direction. So I, I'm praying, and this pops up in my mind. This is what I'm going to preach on. Okay, what is righteousness? Some of you guys know even the Greek word because you went through the Roman seminar. What is it? Yeah, all the front row people, they all know it. Dekaiosune. <laughs> Someone said, what? Dekaiosune. Uh, anyway, I'm not going to go into that. If Paul talks about it. Uh, when you're born again as a gift, because none of us are right with God before we're born again, as a gift because of what Jesus did, God sets you right. God gives you a right standing with him, even though you're not right because he takes all your wrong and he puts it on Jesus Christ. Some people call that the great exchange. And if you've never had that happen, you've never let Jesus take all your bad and you be credited with Jesus good then you're still lost and you're still out there. But Paul, in his Romans letters, mostly concerned about us being put in that right state, condition before God. The Sermon on the Mount is interested in, well, for someone who's in that state, how are they going to behave rightly now? So there's slightly different nuances you can put on that word righteousness. But Jesus is interested in how does a right person behave? What does it look like to behave rightly in God's universe? So... <clears throat> 
chapter 5 is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And so where does this word righteousness? So God's kingdom, where he rules and reigns, is going to be full of people behaving righteously the way he wants them to behave. So what does the Sermon on the Mount say about righteousness? Let's look really quickly. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst to behave in a way that blesses the universe and leaves them at peace with themselves and God and everyone else and leads to fruitfulness and joy, et cetera, et cetera. Do you guys ever hunger and thirst for righteousness? I just want to be right. I just want to be holy. I just want to be good. I just want to be a blessing to others. I just want to stop doing things that hurt other people. She said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for that. They will be satisfied. There's a way to do it. First of all, you receive the gift of God's spirit by being born again. And then you learn from Jesus how God wants you to behave. And God gives you the power to do it. And life becomes very fun and satisfying. If your religion is not fun and satisfying and is like an oppressive burden or feels like you're trying to earn something from God or doing things you don't really want to do, you're doing it all wrong. Real religion is supposed to be a natural outworking of God's spirit in you that you received on the day that you were born again. Jesus said, unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom of heaven. So anyway, right, what is, but what does righteousness look like? Jesus said, if you want it and you're yearning for it, you'll be blessed because you're going you're gonna to lay hold of it. God's going to show you how to do it. So this is the first place this appears in the Sermon on the Mount. And then again in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who've been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. There's the kingdom of heaven. Because guess what? When you start doing things the way you're really supposed to do them, the way God wants you to do them, people aren't going to like you. The religious people aren't going to like you. Your religious relatives aren't going to like you. They're going to say you're a Jesus freak. They're going to tell you, you're, well, why are you always talking about Jesus? Why are you always going and hanging out with homeless people? Why do you do that Bible study in the prison? Why did your church let people with tattoos all over them in? What is that all about? Why do you have testimonies of prostitutes? and ugh, ugh. That's the, Our church is full of nice people and the prestigious people. And the pastor tells us how great we are every week. And we don't want to hear that messy stuff. Well, the reality is that there are a bunch of liars and fakers. And there's some churches that just people don't lie and fake and say, hey, we need God to touch us and heal us. And, and then they live their life in a very strange way. They're not thinking about tomorrow and their investment portfolio and keeping up with you know their neighbors. And it's hard not to say the Joneses, but they're in the church. And so I don't want to talk about keeping up with the Joneses. But um, we, we don't think about those things. We think about kingdom things. But when you do that, you're going to be persecuted. Jesus said, you will be persecuted. People aren't going to like you. You're going to lose jobs. You're going to lose opportunities. People are going to slander you. Family members are going to make fun of you. You're not going to be invited to, to family functions because of the way you're, the priorities of your life. I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, that's the religious hoity-toity people, the bishops and the pastors and the religious show-offs and charlatans. Uh, the people who like to dress religiously and speak religiously and pray religiously. Oh, thou who art enthroned above the cherubim. Where's the mic? Oh, thou who art enthroned above the cherubim, we beseech thee humbly to visit us with you. Right? Wow, that guy's great at King James East. Man, he's the greatest prayer I've ever heard. Like, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hold the applause till after the prayer. It's like these fakers, he said, they're gonna they're gonna get all over your case if you're doing this right. Well, what are you talking about, Jesus? What are they going to get all over our case about if we do right? This is just, 
he's kind of leading into this righteousness theme. You got a hunger and thirst for it. You'll be persecuted for it. And the, your righteousness is going to have to go way beyond, in God's eyes, anything that the religious show-offs are doing. So then chapter 5 is a little bit more almost prelude to what this righteousness is, and it's a bunch of don'ts. And I'm not going to talk about this because there's a point I want to get to here. Righteous people, people that are acceptable to God and behaving properly, you don't, they don't hate and they're not bitter. It's one of the first things you have to learn you start walking with God. You got to forgive everybody. You don't know what my uncle did to me. You don't know what my ex-spouse did to me. My dad left when I was three years old and he used to beat my mom and forget about it. You don't know what my boyfriend did. You don't know what my business partner did. Well, to get in the kingdom, God says, well, you know all the stuff you did? I'll forgive you for all of it. But part of the deal is you got to turn around and do the exact same thing. That's the deal. I'm going to forgive you for everything that you've done. And stop pointing the finger and making excuses for yourself. And I'm not going to look at anyone. He shows you you're just a little monster. You're a little terrorist. You're a little selfish, terrorist, monster, manipulator, fit-throwing baby, right? And everything you do is about you. And you want everybody to excuse you, but then you want to blame everybody when they behave like you do. God says, no, no, no. Let's deal with you. Now, you deserve death. You deserve punishment. That's why Jesus came. I put it on him. Accept the forgiveness that I provided through Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. Be born again. Receive my spirit. Learn how to live. Um, and But the first thing you do is you turn around and forgive everybody else who's ever hurt you. Sermon for another time, but that's just 101 Christianity. If you have bitterness in your heart and you claim to be a Christian, the Bible says you're deceiving yourself. That you don't understand how rotten you were. You don't understand the cross. You're not being, you know, influenced by the holy spirit so if that's you come talk to me we'll work through it every one of us had to work through this bitterness monster right every single let me see your hands here who's hammered through the bitterness thing everybody has been deeply wounded profoundly wounded worst case i ever heard of we got any kids in here little yeah okay <laughs> maybe i won't say it maybe i will because I think one of the worst wounds a person can ever have is be sexually abused by their father. Right? You talk about blowing up someone's worldview. Like throwing a wrench in their machinery, right? But I've, you're not unique. You're not special in your sin and your brokenness. God knew what was coming and he said, look, I'm going to forgive you. You forgive all these people. I can heal you and I can even turn this around and use it for my glory. You're good. Doesn't, it won't even sting anymore. I'll heal you up. I'll turn this into a weapon, into strength. Into... So anyway, it's hard for me not to go off the trail here. Don't be sexually immoral. Why not? Because that's predatory. Until you're in covenant with somebody, especially you guys, it's predatory. You tell the girl you love her, you're a predator. You're just preying on her. That's all you're doing. And girls use it for different reasons. Um, but he says, just stay away from that. Keep it in covenant. Wait until you've sworn your life to one another and then use it as I've created it to be used and enjoy it. Leave that one alone. Okay. They said, don't lie. This is just that whole fifth chapter. Don't lie. 
Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Stop manipulating people. Stop crossing your fingers. Stop, you know, put, putting fine print on your contracts. You know, just you should be the kind of person that you shake your hand with somebody and say, hey, the car's $10,000 and that's all it is. You don't, you know, that's how it should be. That's the way my people operate. No deception. Don't ever seek revenge. So these are the kind of things he's just going over. The don't, 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 don'ts. But the, you don't have the word righteousness in this whole section. And so I was interested, well, where does righteousness show up? Oh, and don't hate your enemies. He says, love your enemies. Like God loves his enemies. Yeah, it says, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. When we were God's enemies, he paid our price and he reached out his arms and he said, I'll restore you and forgive you. So when we receive that, we turn around and we do that. So these are just some of Jesus's don't, 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 don't things. So what does he tell us to do? And this is really the heart of my message. And I hope this really challenges you. And for me, this was such a refreshing thing. This hit me this morning, almost like uh, something he taught me years ago, but it, it almost restored my soul from some things that I'd been struggling with. What does a righteous person do? And this may surprise you. If you haven't memorized the Sermon on the Mount, you don't know what's coming. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness or good behavior, whatever, before people to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you don't have any reward with your father who's in heaven because that's selfishness. I, I helped a homeless guy because I saw the film crew was there from the local channel, and I thought maybe I'd get a spot. It was like, snap, snap. Do you see this 20? Oh, you poor homeless guy. Yeah. Is this my best side? Okay. Right. Don't do your good works to be noticed by people. You know, biggest givers in the church are going to put their names up. No, he says you do it in secret. But what kind of good works? First thing he says, so when you give to the poor. First place righteousness comes. What's the first command? When you give to the poor. If you study Jesus' life, you can't even express how important the poor were to Jesus. So you want the mind of Christ. You want to be a righteous person. You want to be somebody who thinks like Christ, acts like Christ. You claim to be a follower of Christ. You absolutely have to be concerned about the poor. And if you think this is a stretch, just balance it out with everything else the New Testament and the Old Testament says about the poor. So he says, when you give to the poor, and then he goes on. But when you give to the poor, I'm, I'm skipping a section because I just want to get to the heart of what I want to say here. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. One thing you also have to be aware of with Jesus is he uses sarcasm and hyperbole to make his point. So this is obviously a figure of speech. So when he says, gouge your eye out, if you have a lust problem, it's never really helped anyone because lust is a heart problem, right? So he uses exaggeration and stuff. So here's like, but you're not giving to get applause. You're not giving to earn anything from God. You're giving because God changed your heart and you have a heart like his. So this is don't let your right hand, left hand know what your right hand is doing. So your giving is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And so I was just meditating that in the Sermon on the Mount, after all the don'ts, yeah, don't hate people, don't lust, don't be sexually immoral, don't this, don't that. So Jesus, what am I supposed to be doing? 
He, he tells you some other stuff to do. Next is pray. There's a huge section in the Sermon on the Mount on prayer. But we're not going to go over that right now. We're going to talk about attitude towards the poor. Fascinating, as I meditated on this, um, I remember a lot of, uh, memorized a lot of Matthew when I was 27, I think. I made me turn my mind to Matthew 19, where somebody says to Jesus, Teacher, what good things should I do that I may inherit eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what's good? There's only one who's good. And basically, this is interesting. He's inferring there that he's God. But you have to be a careful student of the Bible. Why do you call me good? There's only one who's good, and it's God. So if I'm really good, then what does that mean? He's God. So anyway, those kind of little subtle things are all through the New Testament. But then he said, keep the commandments. The what's? The don'ts. He said, and which ones? Don't commit murder. Now in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, don't just not murder. He said, don't be bitter. Bitter Bitterness is the spirit of murder. Because when you're really bitter, you want somebody dead. That's, that's the way that works. Bitterness is a mild dose of spirit of murder. So don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbors yourself which is interesting, all except this love your neighbor as yourself, he's just referring back to the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses. Bonus points in what chapter of the Bible? Where are the Ten Commandments first? Yeah, Exodus 20. Um, but the first ones are just, but it sounds a lot like the Sermon on the Mount. Don't, 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 don't. And it's even very similar order because you don't murder, don't commit sexual immorality, he skips over the steal, but he don't lie. That's bearing false witness. Then watch what he does. The guy thinks he's good. The young man said, all these I have kept. What am I still lacking? Now, nobody in this room probably is going to go, oh, yeah, I've done that. I'm not bitter against anyone. I've never committed any sexual shenanigans. I'm, I'm good all across the board. This guy could say he was good all across the board. And Jesus says, okay, what about the do? That a righteous person does. And this is where Jesus got him. If you wish to be complete, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. What he's showing him basically is that he's not as good as he thought he was, because if he was truly righteous, he wouldn't be just about the don'ts. He would also look like God, because God's spirit would have invaded his life and taken him over, and he would be flowing. And that's a whole different thing that we need to talk about a lot of people's conception of god is not a very generous one all right i'll try again so their their, their conception of god is just not very generous a lot of us have a sick twisted selfish monster up in our brain that we think is god it's a distortion it's a perversion your god is supposed to look exactly like jesus was jesus a sick twisted taker no, he woke up in the morning. All he did was pour himself out all day long. He'd give forgiveness. He'd give healing. He'd feed crowds. He gave and gave and gave and gave. And it doesn't, Bible doesn't say this, but until he would probably collapse at night because he just had all the life sucked out of him. One time it says that people would even touch him because 
just the generosity of God would go out of him when he didn't even know it was happening. And he turned around, he felt it go out of him and said, who touched me? Because he just was flowing outward. And that's what God is like. And so he knows this guy is not for real. I don't know. I don't know why you're staying sexually moral and why you're keeping all the rules, but it's not because you have the heart of God. Because if you had the heart of God, you'd be a giver. And then there's another great account in Luke 19. I love this story. Zacchaeus. Any of you guys grew up in Sunday school? Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. All together now. No, just kidding. Um, so he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see, right? So, so we got this, and we get so lost in the fact that he was short and he climbed a tree that we don't really understand what happened. So, uh, <laughs> so Zacchaeus, Jesus said, I'm going to your house. Zacchaeus is a dirty dog. He's a tax collector. He's a Jewish turncoat. He's like a he's like a, a Roman IRS agent that's taking money from his own people to give to the oppressing rulers of Israel. People hated these guys, and they would overcharge people, and they were fat city. So he's he's living in the lap of luxury, but you know. When we seek anything but God and his righteousness, it's not working for him. So he wants Jesus. He wants what Jesus has. He's not quite sure how it works or what it is, but he asked him to come to his house. This just beautiful account here. He came down and received him gladly. And then they began to grumble saying, Jesus is hanging out with dirty dogs. Jesus only hung out with dirty dogs. The religious people didn't like him. They're just the dirty scum like us. We're the ones that like them because he fixes us. And, um, so Zacchaeus, anyway, he goes to his house and the people are saying he shouldn't be in his house because he's a bad guy. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, half my possessions I'll give to the poor. If I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. But if you study this carefully, Jesus is teaching him, telling him about the kingdom, telling him what's wrong with him, telling him how he's supposed to be functioning, how God wants him to function, what life is all about. He gets it, and his first response is, I want to go to people that are disadvantaged, that don't have as much as I do. I want to flow. That's, that's his response. And people are like, well, the rich young ruler, he told to give all. Well, Zacchaeus says, I'll give half. Jesus would say, tweet, blow the whistle. He's only given half. Jesus isn't a ridiculous technician like this. It's the guy's flowing. He's thinking about others now. You know your primary sicknesses and mine before we come to Christ? We're selfish, should I say it, me monsters. It's all me, 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 me. Everything. The cure is to turn that around. Living is once we get over ourselves. I love this line from movie. Get over yourself, darling, right? Get over yourself. Live for everybody else. That's life. So Jesus knows the miracles happen in Zacchaeus' heart because he's all of a sudden obsessed with everybody else. Are you obsessed with everybody else? Are you obsessed with the poor especially because they have the obvious needs? Is your religion a list of don'ts? Jesus did not wake up in the morning saying, oh, man, I can't hate today. I better not hate or I'm not going to go to heaven. I better not sleep with my girlfriend or I'm not going to go to heaven. You can't say that. That's gross. No, I shouldn't. But anyway, 
I shouldn't lie. I, I shouldn't steal the apples from that cart over there. I'm not going to go to. He's not thinking about don'ts. He's looking at needs and he's thinking about do's. Oh man, there's a sick person. Oh, there's a hungry crowd. And he'd feel in his guts. Ah. So, what is the mind of Christ? The mind of Christ is an others oriented, selfless mind. Now, Jesus had it by nature. We have to receive it as a gift. We have to receive the Spirit as a gift, and then God has to renew our mind through study, studying the Word of God. But as you get it, the euphoria you experience once you stop being a taker and you learn to be a giver, and not even to get anything. You're not giving, you're not doing it so you can get into heaven. You're just doing it because that's what God made you. You can't even explain that to somebody. The only way you can experience is that to do is to do it. And, and again, the, one of the times this hit me the hardest was in a orphanage in Rwanda, not 10 years after the genocide. And one of the kids in that orphanage had a machete scar across his head because there was a genocide where, where the, the uh, Hutus killed a million Tutsis in political crazy chaos that happens in sub-Saharan Africa. You have this whole orphanage full of little kids. And just spending the day with them, loving them, singing songs, holding them, throwing them up in the air, making them laugh, whatever. Um, I, I just remember going back to our hotel and I'm like, I am feeling. And somebody who was with me said, perfect. And I was like, yeah, perfect. It's life. That is what living is, is pouring yourself out. And we're, we're, we're just pulling everything in the wrong direction. So when this happened to Zacchaeus, God said, oh, the miracles happen. This is real religion. There's 18 million varieties of false, false religion. And 10 million of them are varieties of Christianity. But there's a real religion where the Spirit of God fills your heart and you become a giver and and. You don't give because you have to. You give because God's Spirit's in you and you want to. So the Sermon on the Mount, what is righteousness? What's the first thing that should characterize someone who's really been touched by the Spirit of God? They're givers. And who's in the position to receive? But the poor. Jesus is always preaching to the poor. So let's keep moving here. Oh, James one twenty seven. Who's memorized the first chapter of James? Let me see those hands high. Look at that. See, I want the new people to see that we're serious about the Bible here. Because they should be too. If you're a Christian, you should be serious about the Bible. Jesus spoke words that can change our lives. Why don't we have them tattooed on our soul? Why can't I tell you, you know, run through all the dialogue in the 18 Star Wars films? And I can tell you all the lyrics of whoever, Beyonce or who's that? Other little girl that everybody likes, Taylor Swift. We know all their lyrics, but we can't tell you 10 Bible verses. Come on, you know. Anyway, James 127. He says the exact same thing. This is Jesus' brother, half brother, different dads. Yeah. <laughs> So if you're a Catholic, sorry, the Bible says they're brothers. So Jesus is son of Mary, father, the father. And uh, these other ones came from Joseph and Mary through normal 
marital relationships. God blessed. So anyway, but he says he didn't believe in Jesus until Jesus rose from the dead, which you might believe in your brother if he rose from the dead. But then up until that point, no, Jesus, you're just nuts. But then he follows Jesus. He becomes one of the leaders in the Jerusalem church. And he writes what I think is probably their very first epistle in the New Testament. This is how he summarizes religion. The don'ts and the do. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this. Visit orphans and widows in their distress. Hello. If you got it and you got the spirit of God and you got the real stuff, you're going to want to flow. And by the way, keep yourself unstained by the world. Yeah, no bitterness, no sexual shenanigans, no hatred, no lies. Don't do all that stuff either. But your joy is going to come from flowing. The Bible also calls that love. That's the mark of a true Christian. They love. They love everyone because they're loved by God. So I just thought, since so many people are working on James and memorized James in here, this is, this is how he summarizes it, exactly what we see Jesus saying all through the Gospels. This passage absolutely changed my life. I didn't know this. Uh, I, again, I had a couple of theological degrees, and I was not aware of the importance of the poor. And one day God hit me over the head with Isaiah chapter 58. I want to see God move in power. I want to see miracles. I want to see answers to prayer. I want to see lives transformed. And uh, some people call that revival. And God said, oh, you're kind of overlooking one of the facets of revival, which is passion about the poor and the oppressed. He says, so you had people fasting, praying, and thought God was ignoring them. And God says, what you're doing, I'm not impressed with. He said, this is the kind of fast I want. Loosen the bonds of wickedness. Think about all the kids who are sex trafficked. What are you doing about that? Get on that. Put a stop to that. Undo the bonds of the yoke. Let the oppressed go free. Break every yoke. Divide your bread with the hungry. When was the last time you took a homeless person out, bought them a sandwich, sat down on the curb with them? Bring the homeless poor into the house. This is interesting. <laughs> Who in here, I don't even know if we have enough people, but who in here at some point was homeless? Okay. Yeah. And uh, several of you guys we invited into the house. So again, we're not worthless around here. We, we're not doing what we could. I said, on a scale of one to 10, we're at least a one, right? But yeah, I mean, these, we have people in here that were literally homeless. Um, some when we met them, they were homeless, right? But real Christian, you got you got to find a place for them. Isaiah 60, or Psalm 68 calls God a father to the fatherless, a judge for the widows. It says he makes a home for the lonely. So that's real religion. That's real Jesus. That's the mind of Christ. When you see the naked, cover him. Don't hide yourself from your own flesh. Then, you want to see God show up? Then, your light will break out like the dawn. Your recovery will speedily spring forth. Your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. You will call. The Lord will answer. You'll cry. He will say, here I am. So God showed me, you know, if you want a little more of me, get about my business. And my business is the broken and the downcast and the addicts and the street people and the street kids and the AIDS orphans in Africa. But uh, just like all of you guys, I get 
fuzzy on things. I mean, we got a two-year program and we got all these people getting married and we you know, we're got houses and you know, people doing master's programs or organizing all these teachers. And so quick it's amazing how quickly we can forget things. God, his heart is for the broken. His heart is for the poor. His heart is for the lowest. His heart is for the least. That is Christianity. There are churches that have nothing available, but we're not going to worry about them. We're going to pray for them, right? But we want to do it right. And God says, if, if you're going to avoid them, God's like, I'm just going to pull back. And it's going to seem like your prayers don't work. It's going to seem like I don't care. It's going to seem like I'm a million miles away. And I guess I would challenge you guys. You're not, you don't do this to earn anything from God. You have to understand that you're loved and he welcomes you into a relationship by his grace. But if you want to kick your Christianity next level and have some fun and see some supernatural happen, go to those dark, dirty, scary, grimy places where there are human beings who desperately, desperately need to be loved. And just see if God doesn't show up. So this passage, actually, at the time, it made me like, I was living in Denver. I just graduated from Denver Seminary. God said, go to the street kids. This was just a picture of a street kid I pulled off line. But he looks just like the street kids did 20 years ago. Tattoos and rivets in their head and pierces. And But you talk to them, it's because nobody wants them. Um, the girls, you know, usually are involved in prostitution at some level. Um, the boys in criminal activity, some of their parents throw them out. A lot of the girls were sex abused, so they ran away because it was better on the street than it was in their house. And God said, go to these kids. And um, I saw God show up. Miracle, you pray, boom. Whoa, <laughs> what? What? I, I got, you know, I told you this story. One kid, I got off the street, him and his mom, and uh, God, they need some furniture. And a truck literally forces me off Broadway in Denver. And I, okay, there's a warehouse with some furniture. And I go inside. And the owner, owner's wife says, well, who are you? What are you up to? I tell her, she says, oh, my husband just got born again. And she just loads me up with all this free furniture. Just like that. I, I, I was living by faith. I had no money. Um, my, God said my wife and I do that a lot. I was complaining this morning. Sometimes I complain about that. It's not fair. Why don't you give everybody else lots of money and I never had lots of money? And God said, well, you do remember that during that time, that's when I revealed that whole character God stuff to you? Remember that? Oh, sorry, sorry. Sorry, 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 sorry. No, it's good. Fine. You, I, the poor thing's fine with me because it was during that season that God, during trials, God has you press in and that's where you find the real gold. Like if I hadn't been in that situation, I wouldn't have discovered that heart of God stuff that has absolutely changed my life. But anyway, I started going to these street kids. And uh, I started to see God show up. And then uh, I get fuzzy, and then God reminds me again, go to the poor. And then a few years later, I found out there's 20 million AIDS orphans in sub-Saharan Africa. And... Um, Kids just die in the street, and in, in Kenya, they just huff glue to keep the hunger pangs away. So these shoemakers will sell these for pennies, and 
it will destroy the kid's brain in just a few years. So all these little boys, if they're in Kenya, you see them with plastic bottles, huffing, 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 just destroying their brains. And I started praying about this, and I was out with a businessman friend. Again, don't have any extra resources, but uh, dude, there's all these babies, man, and they're dying. And this guy, totally unexpected, he said, put together a trip, I'll pray for it. I mean, I'll pay for it, not just pray for it. Sometimes don't just pray, God will tell you to pay. But anyway, he said, I'll pay for it. That was how I got over there 20 years ago, and I've been like 16 times, you know. And, but you, you have to let God move your heart, and you have to get involved. And we want to sit in our cushy lives, in our cushy houses, in our cushy cars with our cushy friends. And we say, well, where's God? Why don't I feel the warm fuzzies when I worship anymore? You know, why doesn't the Bible come alive to me? And God is like, when was the last time you thought about the poor, the oppressed? The other day I was driving down the street and it wasn't this woman. It wasn't that long ago. It was my, oh, it was my anniversary or something like that. And uh, I was driving to get flowers. And I see a woman with her son, little tiny guy, pushing a cart. I was like, I'm like, really, Lord, on my anniversary? For reals? You want me to go? Right? God's like, just subtle nudge. He's not going to put you in a hammer lock. Turn the car around. And I'm like, hey, you want some help? She's like, whoa. I don't, I'm, hey, I'm a pastor. She's like, mm, okay, maybe I'll, you know, and just, those kind of situations, they're all around us. I was able to get her off the street. You guys helped out a lot. Sometimes these people take some time. They've been hurt. And I don't mean to like compare them to animals, but if you abuse an animal too much, they're going to strike. They're, they're, right? And so these people, they don't know how to relate. They don't know how to, you got to love them. You got to teach them that they're loved, that they're valuable, that they're safe. So you don't just step out and the first time you try, you hit a home run. There's some people that go through the house once, twice, three times, four times before, oh, God loves me, and these people love me, and I can trust them. And that's what you got to do. But anyway, I just, this whole, this was what God refreshed me with this morning. I love going to the broken. It's like drugs that are clean and good and not illegal and bring about good consequences instead of bankrupting you. They bring about good relationships, but it's like the euphoria you get. It's the Spirit of God just welling up in you, letting you feel like God feels, and then He'll back you up with His power and His glory. So it was interesting to me. <laughs> That's that, that's that concept of righteousness. What are you talking about, Jesus? Yeah, you got the don'ts, but you got the do. And a truly righteous person, they're always going to be about the poor. True religion, it's about the poor. Does God love the rich? Of course he loves the rich. But it's harder for a rich person to get in the kingdom than a camel to go through the eye of a needle. They don't need God. They got it covered. Poor people, they're open. James also says this, the poor are rich in faith, heirs of the kingdom. God loves the rich. You'll catch a few rich as you go after the poor. But go after those people whose needs are obvious. Um, and of course, everything should come back to the character of God as God described himself. What is God like really? Not your, own, your twisted vision of him. What's he really like? All of us, the devil works overtime to twist and distort our vision of God. 
he's demanding, he's cruel, he's a killjoy, he's a that's the devil. Who's God really? God is the most winsome, wonderful, attractive being in the entire universe. And I think only an insane person would not love him if they could only see him. And this is how he described himself to Moses. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh. That just means he is in Hebrew. A God who is compassionate. His heart's on fire with love. He wants to meet all your needs. He's not an enabler. Sometimes he can be like a good, strong father with us to get about to get a good result. But his heart's on fire. He wants our best. He's gracious. He's going to do whatever you let him do to meet your need. He's slow to anger. He doesn't like slapping you around. He doesn't like blowing his cork. He's, he's not like that. He's patient, impossibly patient. That's why we're not all cooked. That's why we're still sitting here. He's patient. Abounding in kindness. Rich in kindness. That's Hesed, of course. As high as the heavens are above the earth, his kindness is towards us. And faithfulness means that's the way he is always, and he never changes. So a righteous person is someone who's starting to reflect that God because they know that God. And one of the things that you're going to do if you really know this God and you're reflecting that God is you're going to love the poor. If you don't love the poor, prove to me that I'm the devil. And this is a big lie. With your Bibles, you can't. You will lose. Don't even try. This is the truth. This is what the Bible says. So question, is your religion mostly a list of don'ts? What a burden. What a yoke. What a stinky way to think about God. And Or is it God's life of compassion and generosity flowing through you? If you've never been born again, you first of all have to receive his spirit so that he can flow. Jesus said, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. And once you drink, then you'll flow. That's what he says. So, But for those of us who are born again, don't get caught up in the do's and the don'ts and the, you know, the legalistic little lists. Let the life of God flow. Application, get real practical. What are you going to do for the poor this week? Was it even on your radar? And the rest of your life. What's our church going to do for the poor? Jason was talking about uh, putting together a program where we can rescue more people like we've been able to rescue as a church. What are you willing to give for that, church? I'm telling you, I don't want to be like Peter. Oh, Lord, I die for you. And Jesus is like, yeah, when the cock crows three times, you're going to deny me. I don't want to be like that. But I really, I want to be the kind of person that goes, you want me to sell my house? You can have it. You want me to give my car away? You can have it. You want, you want my days, my hours? You want us to have more prayer meetings to make this happen? What do you want to give for God's kingdom and his righteousness? Seek first. That's where we started. Seek first. His kingdom is righteous. What does it look like? Well, first of all, you get born again, you get his heart in you, and then live it out. And we see, we're seeing little glimpses of the glory in this room. See all those people raise their hand, homeless people? Every single one of those people is on the men, not just on the men, they're going over the moon because God's people surround them with love and grace. And we did just a little bit, like Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All right. I will say a word of prayer. And we'll wrap it up. Father, we come before in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for refreshing me. I love your will. I love your ways. I love you. I love who you revealed yourself to be. I love the fact that you tore down my crazy vision of who you were and revealed that you're just like Jesus when he walked the earth. 
because Jesus is you and you are him. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for our sins. Thank you for showing us the way. We love you. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.